0: Marks of a True Christian 4. Thus far, we have had three sermons on verse 12. This morning, we are moving on to verse 13 of chapter 12. You certainly can't label me as one who skips over any content. In verse 13 of Romans 12, the Apostle Paul instructs us to contribute to the needs of of the saints and practice hospitality contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality in order to carry out this instruction one must be open-hearted and open-handed those are the two words i'd like you to really think about this morning open-hearted and open-handed why well because those two words sum up the genuine Christian contribution and hospitality towards the brethren that has been exemplified for us in Scripture from the very beginning. Speaking of the beginning of the church, if you would go to Acts 2, 2, verse 44. We read... And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, by the world's standards, we are wealthy in the United States. There are people who would literally kill To live in this country and in fact they do kill to live in this country. As Christians in America many times we pat ourselves on the back thinking that we're super or we're being super open-hearted and open-handed in a biblical fashion. For example, if we go through our clothing and get that which doesn't fit anymore or um, simply went out of style and we go through that clothing and we get it and we give it to Goodwill or we give it to St. Vincent de Paul or or to the VA, to the less fortunate, so that they can buy our stuff that we don't want anymore. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad practice. It's not. It's good practice. We do it in our house, okay? And... Um, it's a good thing that we do that. I'm not knocking that in particular. Although, I've had relatives that worked for Goodwill, and I know that the truck drivers and the employees get first dibs on everything that comes in, and they don't pay for it. They they get it for free if they want it. And the CEO last year, I think, made $763,000. They do... I think 6.7 billion a year worldwide. Um, they do a lot of good stuff. They do. Um, but anyway, um, the goodwill, the V.A., Knights of Columbus these are things that we do. We give things away that we don't want. So many of us, the problem is is that we stop here, and we don't go any further. This is the type of giving that we do and then we quit. That's not necessarily biblical, okay? Paul was talking about here in our text um, contributing to the needs of the saints. How many of us would dare do some of the things that the early Christians actually did? How many of us... Contribute to the needs of the saints in an Acts, chapter two, forty-four way, by actually selling things that we don't need, and distributing the proceeds to Christian individuals, and groups, and ministries, and churches, and people that we know who are in Christ, but who are also very much in need. How many of us make substantial material? and or monetary sacrifices in order to genuinely relieve the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ who desperately need relief in some form or fashion. Relief that we could provide if we really wanted to. If we gave to what hurt a little bit. For example, I've known Christians who have given cars away that they didn't need instead of selling the car and making a profit on it they give that car to brothers and sisters who are in christ who needs a car either to get to work or get to a new job maybe for a college kid christian college kid to get around because they have a real need for it there are christians that i know who anonymously pay the tuition For one or more children in a family of believers so that those kids can go to a christian school each year i've known christians who have bought all of the christmas presents for one or two or even three families each year perhaps because a husband is out of work or laid off unemployed these are the types of things i'm talking about i've known christians who um have paid off families' credit card debt. And I've known one Christian who paid off the student loans of a young Christian who had just graduated from college. We've all seen Christians pay for the short-term mission trips for teens who want to go with their youth group. We've seen Christians who... Um, not only buy furniture for people, but give furniture away. I know of many families that have been brought here to the United States by uh, Catholic Charities, and Catholic Charities tries to get both Catholics and Protestants to give furniture to these new families that come here, and I've known a lot of Christian families over the years who have done that, was affiliated with Pastor Rick. We did that. Um, So these are real, the examples I just gave are real genuine examples of contributing to the needs of the saints that Paul is describing in our text. Given a little bit more to the point where it might be a sacrifice or it might hurt a little bit. They were selling their possessions, remember, and they were distributing the proceeds to the people in the church that needed them. So that's why I say that a little bit of sacrificial giving there, which goes beyond clothes that we don't want or we don't fit in anymore. Everybody else do you want to come from? Okay. Open hearted, open handed. This is nothing new for the people of God. We can plainly see this, and that we we could we could plainly see that this is God's heart. For his people. For example, we can go all the way back to when Pastor Steve was teaching the book of Deuteronomy. We can look at chapter 15 there where the Lord instructs his people that every seven years, they never pulled this off by the way, but every seven years they were to release their brothers and sisters from the debts that they owed. According to God's instructions the Israelites were allowed to exact payment from a foreigner, but they weren't allowed to exact payment from Christian brothers and sisters that owed them money. Think about that. As a matter of fact, the Lord tells them in verse 4 that there should be no poor among them. Think about that for a minute. What if we went around here you know, as elders, and we decided one day to say, okay, we want to make sure that there's no one in this church who is poor or in need of basic necessities. You might not think that's a common thing, but it is. That's why churches have benevolence funds. And it's typically the deacons that get together, not the elders, but the deacons will get together and see... What families have needs in the church, real needs. They need a car, they need a lawnmower. They need, you know, leaves cleaned out of their gutters. Things like that. And then they use the Benevolence Fund and they use the the arm and the elbow grease of the men and the women in the church to help these people out. These are the kinds of things that we're supposed to be doing for each other. This is contributing to the needs of the saints. You with me? The Lord instructs his people that they are not to harden their hearts or close their hands to their poor brethren. Remember, open-hearted, open-handed. The Lord said that his people were to open their hands freely and generously lend whatever was sufficient for their brother's lack or their brother's need. The Lord goes as far as to say that if they are hostile to a brother and that brother cries out to the Lord, it will be a sin in the Lord's eyes. This is a theme throughout Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21, we read, He that despises his neighbor sins, but he that has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And again, our benevolent God doesn't only care about our brothers and sisters in the Lord and no one else, the Lord says to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 23 verse 9 that they should, quote, not oppress the sojourner because they know the heart of the sojourner. How did the Israelites know the heart of the sojourner? For they were once sojourners in the land of Egypt, right? And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, the Lord says that the Israelites were not to oppress any hired servant that is poor and needy, whether they were One of their brothers, or they were a sojourner in their land or town. So, this is how we are to treat both our brothers and sisters in the Lord and those who are not necessarily Christians. Our text, however, we're exegeting here, believe it or not, our text pertains to contributing to the needs of believers specifically. So let's get back on that track for a minute. We see the needs of these believers being met as I said at the hand of other believers. In Romans chapter 15 we see the Apostle Paul taking an offering that had been collected to the saints in the Jerusalem church who were desperately in need of monetary assistance. In fact, Paul mentions in Romans 15, beginning in verses 25 through 33, that he is taking an offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And that offering, by the way, came from Macedonia and Achaia. Paul says, which were Gentile cities. Paul says that these brothers and sisters in the Lord were, quote, pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, verse 26. We need to be pleased to make contributions to the poor. We should give with joy and that should please us to not only be able or in a position to give but that the Lord has given us the privilege of giving because when we give we are blessed Paul goes on to say that these Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia shared in the spiritual blessings from their Jerusalem ministry and as such they should also be of service to the saints in Jerusalem in material blessings as well. So they shared in spiritual blessings and they shared shared in material blessings. And as I said, we are to contribute to the needs of both Christians and non-Christians. However, our Christian brothers and sisters should come first. I wouldn't say that if it wasn't scriptural, so... Here's the precedence for that. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, While we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. It's also important to point out that aside from the scriptures that we've just looked at, we also see the fathers of the church going out of their way in their writings to teach the same things. That is to contribute to the needs of the saints. In patristics, remember, we we went over this once before, the word patristics, the root comes from patriarch. Okay? So when when I say in patristics, I mean in the writings of the early church fathers. So, in patristics, we often see these verses quoted when someone, I should say, voice inflection, I should say, we often see these verses quoted when someone writes about giving um, almsgiving or money to the poor, and that's these two verses that I'm about to read. The first one is 1 John 3.17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need... Yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's the one go to scripture that they went to often in their writings. The second one is James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, which most of you know. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And yet, you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now, with those scriptures in mind, those two that I just read, one of the church fathers, St. Basil the Great, was his name, he says this. I think this is nifty. Um, St. Basil said, The bread you do not use is the bread of the hungry. The garment hanging in your wardrobe is the garment of the person who is naked. The shoes you do not wear are the shoes of the one who is barefoot. The money you keep locked away is the money of the poor. The acts of charity you do not perform are the injustices you commit there's another quote from the Didache or the teaching of the twelve apostles which was very popular in the first century church and that quote goes like this share everything with your brother do not say it is private property if you share what is everlasting you should be that much more willing to share things that do not last St. John Chrysostom, who wrote a lot, he is the uh, early church father of the East, Eastern Orthodox. He says, when you are weary of praying and do not receive, consider how often you have heard a poor man calling and have not listened to him. These are early writings. You know, we're talking 3rd, second, first century. There are literally hundreds of quotes out there in the patristic world that pertain to contributing to the needs of the saints. What I want you to see are three things. Number one, to contribute to the needs of the saints is scriptural. I've given you proof texts from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Number two, I'd like you to see that God's heart from Genesis to Revelation, His heart is for us to sacrifice in order to contribute to the needs of the saints. And number three, I'd like you to see that all of these scriptures that depict God's heart and instruction to us concerning this aspect of the Christian life have been interpreted in the past the way I'm interpreting them here this morning. They were interpreted by the very earliest Christians all the way up through the centuries, and today they're still being interpreted the same way. They're consistent. Okay, so now let's move on to the second part of verse 13 in our text, Romans 12. Practicing and showing hospitality to the saints. The Greek here carries the connotation of literally the love of strangers. That's what it means. The love of strangers. A good Old Testament parallel of this is when the Lord and the two angels appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Remember Genesis 18? This was when the Lord was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham showed the Lord and his companions hospitality. By, number one, washing their feet, which was common. Having a huge meal prepared for them, also common. It, actually, if you look at the, the Hebrew, it was an extremely large amount of food that Abraham prepared for these three men. Um, sidebar, when I was a campus minister, I had the privilege of eating with students from all over the world and their parents many times. And some of the students and adults that, I've, that I encountered would invite me to their homes to eat. Some of them would ask me out to restaurants to eat, particularly the parents who were in town and wanted to meet with the campus minister. Um, if invited to their apartments, they would put out a... Huge spread of food, typically um that they spent many, many hours preparing, sometimes from the day before. This was especially so if they were Asian or Middle Eastern students. they would make so much food and such a different variety of foods that there was there was no way that any of us there. Um, at the time, combined could possibly eat it all. just no way. Um, it, it didn 't go to waste, however. If we ate in a restaurant, it was almost embarrassing to an American because they would order just about everything on the menu. Um, I, I ate with an Asian guy one time who um, he was Chinese. And uh, he ordered every appetizer on the menu at this Chinese restaurant that we ate at. And it was just him and I. That was it. And I should say, the reason why he did was he was praying about collaborating with our ministry uh, in a a campus ministry endeavor. And he... He basically told me in a roundabout way he wanted to size me up uh, to to see if the Lord witnessed to his spirit that he was supposed to do ministry with us. And this is one of the things that is very common in Chinese culture, to ask you out to a meal and put an elaborate spread out. Um, If I didn't eat at least a good bit of what was on that table, then that would have been an offense to them. It's offensive if you if they prepare all this food and, and you don't eat any of it. They come from a culture like Abraham in Genesis 18 where such a high value was placed on showing hospitality that you were expected to show an abundance of thanks. The more you ate, the more you thanked them, the better... They felt, in other words, they felt that their hospitality was happily accepted and your joy in sharing the meal that they prepared was not only your way of thanking them for their hospitality, but it was more importantly a way, uh, it was a way of of show to show how much they were appreciated or how much they appreciated you. In Abraham's culture and in the culture of these people that I sucked with on campus, if you neglected or mistreated travelers that came your way, it was regarded as a social evil. So back to patristics in regard to this subject, St. Ambrose said, and I quote, a man ought to Therefore be hospitable, kind, upright, not desirous of what belongs to another. Such is the favor in which hospitality stands with God and not even the drought of cold water shall fail to get a reward. You see, and this is still Ambrose talking, you see that Abraham in looking for his guest received God himself to entertain, end quote. Fast forward to the New Testament, okay? Just like in Abraham's day and in the cultures of some of my former college students and their families, it was a custom during the time of the Jewish dispersion that Jews were to welcome fellow Jewish Strangers that were traveling into their homes. That's very important. It was a cultural thing, and it still is a cultural thing, for them to welcome complete strangers, but who are like them, in that they are Jews, okay, into their homes. But that's not all. The head of that home was also expected to put a large spread of food out for these traveling brothers and sisters that they did not know. If the family of the home in which the strangers were invited was poor, and as such they didn't have much as a family, the family of that home would often give the very best thing that they had to this strange family that they found before them. I've had conversations with friends, um, who are missionaries. And typically, they all have a story like this, okay? Um, Or they have similar stories. I was talking to a friend who was a a missionary to Venezuela. And he told me that one time he came up upon a small family, okay? A mom, a dad, and a little girl. And this, this family was part of the church, where he was teaching pastors, okay, Bible. He was teaching the Bible to pastors. He said that this family of three invited him uh, and another person that he was with to their home the next day for a meal. And he said that this family lived in a shack made out of tin and wood with a dirt floor incredibly poor people and they had one prized possession a chicken one stinking chicken and they slaughtered and dressed that chicken the only meat that they had for these two guys okay that's typically the way it is in these parts of the world and if you turn that down, that meal down, you're considered to be a jerk. i sure Roger and Kathy, you guys, can tell a lot of stories about what I'm talking about. It's so important to the Lord that He lists hospitality, okay? In 1 Timothy 3.2, He lists it in 1 Timothy 5.10, and he lists it in Titus 1.8. And guess what those scriptures are? Those are scriptures that describe overseers, pastors, deacons in the church. And every pastor, deacon, and, and I can make a scriptural case. I am making one for Christians in general are required to be hospitable. It's a trait that we all need to have. And practice. It's not a gift. We talked about gifts several weeks ago. Well, some people are gifted more than others to be hospitable. We did talk about that. But everybody's called to do this, is my point. Now, I realize that some of you may be thinking, you know, yeah, Mike, that's all well and good, but um, how does that translate into my life this day in our American culture well have you you ever thought about and I know a lot of people in here do this have you ever thought about inviting a new couple or family in the church either over to your house for dinner or out to lunch or out to breakfast that's being hospitable to brothers and sisters in the Lord and the person or people that you show hospitality to, um, they they don't even necessarily have to be new in the church. They can be someone that you've said hello to every Sunday for the past two years, but you've never really put forth any effort to get to know them. Ask them out for a meal or invite them to your home for a meal. If you are a female, you can invite... The wife out to lunch or if you're a male you can invite the husband of that couple to meet you for coffee you may be very surprised at how much you have in common with people that you may have neglected um, unknowingly to get to know a little bit in the past you may also be surprised at how much you have to offer them and how much they have to offer you i 'm not talking material things, I'm talking about you know one mind sharpening another, things that you have in common that you can help each other with. God is serious about this stuff. he really is. what did the Lord do um, to the Ammonites and the Moabites? They were cut off from the assembly of Israel. In Deuteronomy 23, why? In verse 5 of that chapter, the Lord tells Israel to exclude them because they, quote, did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, end quote. Because they didn't offer you food and water when you came out of Egypt. Think about it this way. Let's, let's just imagine now, based upon what you're seeing on your TV sets, Currently, um, you're a Ukrainian, and you've been forced out of your home and your city. Everything you know, everything you love and cherish is gone, even part of your family. You've escaped with the clothes on your back and a backpack that might be full of important papers and a few pictures You've been traveling on foot for two or three days, nonstop, 18 degree, frigid temperatures and the wind, chaffing your face, sapping your strength. You're exhausted, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you're irritated, and you just want to sit down and rest. And you finally make it to the border to cross into Poland, and you cross over, and many people are walking all around you with... Nice, cold bottles of water and sandwiches, but none of them will give you one. That's kind of what it can be like. You beg and you plead for this small token of hospitality, a sandwich and a bottle of water, and no one will meet you. No one will meet that very small need that you have. Those people who had it in their power to give to you didn't. Would God cut them off from the assembly of his people? And as such, uh, would he be cutting them off from his privileges and his blessings because they've refused others' hospitality? I don't know. Just thinking out loud. And to be clear, I'm not suggesting in any way that God is going to cut you off from salvation if you're not hospitable. I think you know me better than that. That notion doesn't fit anywhere in in the lives of New Testament saints. As I said before, I'm just trying to show you the heart of our God. He is serious about you and I contributing to the needs of the saints and showing hospitality in his name. We're to be good stewards of one another. We often talk about being good stewards of our finances, don't we? We, we go to seminars about being good stewards of our, our finances and our, our real estate, our retirement plans. But we don't talk about being good stewards of each other which is a much more precious commodity than money. Think about Jesus for a minute. Okay, Think about his culture and where he was. He was invited into Matthew's home. We see that in Matthew 9, verse 10. Jesus was invited into Simon the leper's home, Mark 14, 3. Jesus was invited into Martha's home, okay? That was Luke 10, 38. And when Jesus told Zacchaeus that he must stay at his house, Zacchaeus didn't object. Luke said that Zacchaeus received Jesus gladly. That's Luke 19, 6. Unless you think that hospitality was shown to Jesus alone, Think on this, okay? Priscilla and Aquila held church in their house, Romans sixteen three through 5. Paul said that they risked their necks for his life. That's the NASB. They risked their necks for his life. That's contributing to the needs of saints and practicing hospitality, I would say. In the same chapter, Paul speaks of Phoebe, who Paul wanted the church in Rome to, quote, receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and help her in whatever matters she may have need of. Why, Paul said? Because she also has been a helper of many and to myself as well. She contributed to the needs of the saints. She practiced hospitality. Also, remember Acts 2.46, which we... We read I think we read 245 but 246 day by day, they, the Christians were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. there again, needs and hospitality in Philemon chapter one verse two, we read that greeting or we, we, we read greetings expressed. For Paul, from Paul, to Aphia, our sister, and Agrippus, our fellow soldier, okay, it says, who were part of the church in Philemon's house. So there's another house church, house meeting place. Paul goes on to say in that epistle that he thanks God always for... Philemon's love towards the saints and his faith in the Lord. Then Paul says that the hearts and the saints were refreshed by Philemon. Again, he contributed to their needs, met them with hospitality. In Acts 5, Luke says that the apostles preached and taught where? From house to house. Home to home. In Acts 20, we read that Paul went on teaching from house to house. In Colossians 4.15, Paul says to greet the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church at her house. So you get the picture. These Christians, let's put it this way, after Christ these people put other Christians first in their lives. They showed each other great hospitality and at times risked their lives. And if we were to continue on past the first century, we would see that they gave their lives for other Christians to be hospitable and to meet the needs of other saints, they gave their lives They were very intimate with each other. This is what I want you to come away with, that they were intimate with each other. It's an intimate thing to have someone in your home. It shows a sense of vulnerability, a sense of transparency. It's harder to put up a wall in your own house in front of people. In today's vernacular, we would say that you are putting yourself out there to enter into a level of such intimacy. But that's true Christianity, isn't it? It's a mark of a true Christian. That's what we're talking about. Who could have been more transparent and vulnerable? Who could have put themselves out there for the needs of other people more than Jesus? Think about His transparency. Stripped naked, mocked, beaten, scourged, hanging on a cross for the whole world to see. He met your need. Your need to be reconciled to the Father. When those closest to Him abandoned Him, He took on their sin so that they could be free from the Father's just and righteous wrath that plagued them because of that sin. And not just theirs, but yours, mine. He paid the penalty for your sin so that you could be free from eternal damnation and free of eternal separation from him if you believe in his substitutionary atonement, his substitutionary death in your stead, that he died on the cross in your place, if you believe that, then you've been reconciled to the Father and you are a new creature in Christ. You're a new creation, the Bible says. The old you... And everything that went along with it has passed away and all things have become new for you. The Bible says you've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. And the life which you now live in this fleshly tent, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Galatians 2.20. That should increase your heart rate, man. If that's you, if you've done that, I should say if you've newly done that, recently done that, please get a Bible and start reading the Gospels and getting to know Christ through His Word and through prayer, and find other Christians, hopefully in this church, to fellowship with, so that you have someone to be intimate with, so that you have someone to contribute to your needs, to show you hospitality in the Christian way. These are, as I said, the marks of a true believer thus far in Romans 12 in closing and i went 45 43 minutes marks of a true christian so far in Romans 12 in our study they present their bodies as living sacrifices unto god they are not conformed to the world but instead they're transformed by the renewing of their minds They don't think of themselves more highly than they ought. They use the gifts that God gave them according to his grace. They serve, they teach, they exhort, they lead, they devote themselves to brotherly love. They are cheerful, merciful, diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. They devote themselves to prayer, and they contribute to the needs of the saints, and they show hospitality, whether it's their gift or whether it's them carrying out these simple words of Paul. They show hospitality to their fellow servants in Christ. And we're on verse 13. That's the mark of a true Christian. Let's pray.